You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We'll take up it again. Amar Rababo, Micro. How do we know that that's what Rosh Hashanah is about? How do we know that's what Rosh Hashanah is, is about? And again, I mentioned that, you know, we started this learning talking about Shavuos, talking about Yontif and Erev Tavshilin, and then um, we got sidetracked, but it wasn't we were getting sidetracked. The Talmud itself got sidetracked. The Talmud itself gave us um, a story that had a significance about Erev Tavshilin in it. It was a slight, there was something about who we, do we make Erev Tavshilin for other people? Do we do, or do we send food to people who didn't make Erev Tavshilin? That's the reason why it was mentioned on the page before. But, um, once we were talking about the idea of spending for Yontif and putting money out, so now we've gotten into the whole idea of, 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 of what your expenses are through the year, how you are supposed to uh, meet them out. And now we want to know, how, how do we know that Rosh Hashanah is so significant as the day that everything is established Rosh uh, Hashanah through Yom Kippur. Let's assume Rosh Hashanah specifically. You still have a chance to change it. But how do we know the significance of that day in terms of determining what you're going to make that year? So we prove it from a pasuk in Tehillim. We did this last week. We'll just do it again. Tiku b'chodesh shofar. That and that seems to be something about blowing the shofar, right? B'chodesh. Okay. Um, so that already is telling us something that you're blowing the shofar. Of course, they blew the shofar other times besides Rosh Hashanah. But the last part of the Pasuk says, Hmm. So there's some sort of holiday, some sort of Chag, some sort of day of Simcha. We talked about, if, uh, if not a particular carbon, a specific carbon for yourself, but maybe korbonos that are being brought over and above. Maybe that's what chag means, or maybe it's a day you feel a sense of simcha. But there's something about bekesa. So on that, the next lines are eze chag shachodesh miskasebo. Hmm. So where do we have a day of extra korbonos, a day of a sense of simcha, that there is something that is, Rashi explains what this means is that the Chodesh, which is the new moon, something new that's being seen, is uncover, is covered, that you don't see it. Only some people can see it. It's something that, it's so tiny that you have to be in a specific position to see it. Most people will find that it's unseeable. Hmm. So where is that, where most people will find it's unseeable? That's Rosh Hashanah. So those are the clues that the first part of the Pasuk and Tehillim, you can see it on the side here, Chokli Yisrolhu, I'm sorry, Tiku B'chodesh Sofer B'kesim Chagenu, that's clearly Rosh Hashanah. That seems to be what we're talking about. The Shofar blowing is, of course, uh, is the greatest proof, but also the idea, even though Shofar was blown other times, the fact that it's some day that the moon is not so visible tells you that it's once again Rosh Hashanah, but it's the next word, the next Pasuk. As you can see, when I'm showing you in the Torah or here on the cursor, the very next Pasuk extending that is Chichok L'Yisrael Hu. Okay? So there's a Chok L'Yisrael. Okay? What's that Chok mean? We know, so we can say the Mishpat, 
For example, the mishpat we can say means uh, the, the mishpat we can say means the judgment, and maybe that's the source that, as I said last week, it never says in the Torah anywhere that Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. This pasuk that David Amelech wrote in Tehillim might be the closest source because it says mishpat lelohe Yaakov. That says there's some sort of judgment. But what is, besides being judged, I guess, for life and death, perhaps, or for the mitzvahs or averis that you've done, there's another thing here, which is called a chok. What's that chok? How is it different than mishpat? So that's what Rabbi Bo is working on. So Rabbi Bo says, let's see inside. The chok the mishpat, we know what it is. My mashma, where is the understanding? Where is the inference, like shama? Where do I see? I understand it says there's a chok going on. Again, and it's with a, we read it with a cholem, chok, right? Ki chok hu. You're telling me I should read it chok liyisrael, I should read it something else. How do I know that's chok, whatever that, that those two letters, ches kuf together, how do I know that that's connected to your uh, your your mizonot, right? Uh, what you're going to use for eating for this whatever period it is. So on that, Rabbi Vo has two psukim, or at least the Gemara Rabbi Vo has one, and um, uh, and the Gemara provides another, or maybe he provides both. Uh, uh, Marzutra provides the other. Let's take a look. Let's read it again. My mashma, where uh, show me a source that those two letters chok can also mean specifically, not like like you know we know we we heard, we've heard the idea of a chok meaning a a, a a command that we're not supposed to understand, we're just supposed to accept. But you're telling me it means something else. You're telling me it it means a parceled out amount that's going to be used for your for your day-to-day living. Where do you see that's what the word chok means? So, lishna de mizone, a term, lishna, meaning like lashon, like a language, or a term that in the Torah way of looking at things means mizone. It means parnasa. It means food, the amount that you're going to use for what you need to eat and sustain yourself. So, the source that we brought is as the Pasuk says, and if you look here on the side, you see the complete Pasuk. I always say, have your Tanakh ready, or have a Gemara that quotes the Pasuk completely, but then still look in the Tanakh. If you take a look again, you see this letter, this little number three, is connected to this Pasuk here. Now this again, as I mentioned last week, this was during, uh, before, um, you know, before the brothers um, uh, came down uh, to get food, the Torah describes the years of famine um, and the years of plenty and the years of famine and the period in Mitzrayim. And it mentions that uh, Yosef had, uh, was able to create a deal where people sold all their, gave all their land away to uh, Paro, to the government, in order to have food. And the government became this great landowner and basically owned most of the private property. However, the Pasuk says, Rak Admat Hakoanim Lokana. 
But there was something about the fact that even though it, the Kohanim um, uh, did not have to give up their land, and there you see the word chok, that there was a, 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 a rule. Kohanim are above, they, don't need, they will never be touched. They had a certain prime position in Mitzrayim. They always had a position where they didn't have to give up the lands that they had, and they would always be provided with food, it sounds like. They would always be provided with their means. Therefore, they didn't have to sell their land. That's an incredible pasuk if you think about it. <laughs> uh, it. It sort of like shows you that in Mitzrayim there was already this system of taking care of Kohanim, which we sort of replicated, right? We sort of replicated by giving the Levim and the Kohanim certain cities and then making sure that as part of the agricultural life of the Jews that they would be provided for. It sounds very similar uh, to what, what what was happening in Mitzrayim, there were people called Kohanim. They were they had a, a greater role of service. A Kohen means to someone who's serving, someone who has a certain higher level of service. Okay, so there was a certain class of Kohanim. I don't know if it was genetic. I don't know if it had to be you had to be in that family. But if you did enter into the priests of Paro, then you were protected, and even in a national emergency, that was never obviated, which was, it was a national emergency. And most of the rest of the, uh, of the private land was taken up by the country because of the national emergency that was coming, the famine. But the Kohanim were untouched. So that's an interesting, now if that was the Pasuk, it's, it, it's fascinating how that, becomes uh, a, 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 a precedent for us, not only in terms of the Kohanim, but what happens in this Pesach. Let's go back again. Which means that there's a chok, there's a certain un, a, amount of money that's going to be set, just like Paro had certain amounts that come hell or high water, things wouldn't change. That's the way it is with us. We have a chok as well. That same sort of, and that chok, the same way it was by Paro, uh, it meant the Kohanim would get their stuff. Here is what you're going to get. Might be a lot, it might be a little. Okay? So that was the, that is one source. Very fascinating. At least I think so. Now we have, since we're talking about it, Marzutra jumps in. Marzutra and Amora says, I've got another source. Rababo, you came up with one Pasik. That was Rababo with because that's that, that shows you that Rosh Hashanah. In other words, once you establish this is a Rosh Hashanah day, then Chok tells you that's part of Rosh Hashanah, not just judging whether you're going to live or die, but a certain special financial amount. Marzutra says, I have another source for that. That Chok means that. And this is a Pasik, of course, that um that is quoted um, by the Christian world a lot. Hatrifeni lechem chuki. Now I want to show you the, the, the complete pasuk, if you don't mind, on the side. 
Um, you know, let me just make an aside here. I'm not just doing this to, you know, to fill up time. One of the things that, that the medieval commentaries uh, have, uh, I'll show it to you another time, that one of, uh, one of the, the medieval commentaries toasts with himself. I think it might have been the Re, who we talked about a couple of days ago. What has happened with the, uh, the, the command of studying Novi and Ksuvim, studying Tehillim, Mishle, um, it wasn't done in the Middle Ages either. Uh, again, you might have sent your kids to schools where they did study. I even went to yeshiva, a, a very uh, right, I guess now it's called right-wing yeshiva, where we also had our Novi class every day. And I can tell you that it was the, it was, it was tw- 25, 30 minutes that we really uh, did not care about. It was something that we didn't really uh, think was important. What happened uh, to the study of Novi? And because uh, the Talmud says a person should spend a third of his day in, uh, studying Mikra, a third Mikra, a third Mishnah, a third of the day. It was 20 minutes or 25 minutes. I don't even think it was every day. Um, so obviously, you know, the Talmud has its appeal. And it's like I call this class, the entranceway into the Jewish mind. Uh, it does teach you how to think like a Jew. But what about the responsibility of, of, of studying Navi? And there's been uh, moves, of course, to correct that. Uh, maybe that's, you know, even Shamshan Fall Hirsch and others in the 19th century realized that this has been a, um, this has been a, uh, a perversion of what God wanted. We need to bring back Navi. We need to study it. And, and there has been a tremendous resurgence. Um, and there's definitely more people going to, more children going to school studying Navi than there were in the Middle Ages. Uh, but in the Middle Ages, how do they justify uh, uh, not studying the Navi? So one of the justifications was that every page of the Talmud, or at least not every, but many pages of the Talmud, have uh, words and psukim from the Navi, and there and there was a and and that gives you a background. Now again, it's a very that uh, sounds like a tortured way, but it was the attitude of uh, of the Rishonim. And therefore, I, I am not saying that that's the best way to study. What I'm saying is, when you do have a pasuk of Navi, suvim, something that's, uh, that what you need to do is look it up and look it up in context. And that way, you know where you're getting at. You're still learning the Talmud, but you're also getting in an ancillary way uh, an understanding of those pasukim and Navi, and you can integrate them. Uh, and I think that was the method uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years of of integration. And there were certain, and I think the psukim that are quoted a lot in the Talmud are the ones that became part of the Jewish consciousness <laughs> because they were dealt with in the, in the Talmudic fashion. One of them's coming up in a minute, you'll, and you'll see the one I'm talking about. But let's take a look at Marzutra's one. Marzutra's one is, let's take a look at the whole Pasuk here. Shavu dvar kozav harcheik mimeni. This is Shlomo Melech talking in Mishlei. Um, things that are, 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 are things that are lies, um, shove, things that are clearly lies, things that are sneaky lies. Take them away from me. I don't want to be involved where I, uh, I, I have a, a pressure to, to, to lie and, and, and be living in that world of a lie. However, 
Rosh, Rosh Vaosher. Rosh here it means, Rosh means uh, poverty. And Osher means wealth. I'll teach me. I don't want poverty or wealth. What do I want? Hatrifeni lechem chuki. This is where we say, give me our Lord, our daily bread. Hatrifeni lechem chuki. Give me the lechem chuki. Give me, that's what I want. That's, that's all I need. I don't need great wealth. I don't want to be poor, but give me lechem chuki. That is what uh, the Pusik and, and Mishle is saying. And I think that's where it comes from. You know, again, if you, you look in the translation, if you have a Tanakh and you look in the translation, that's what it says. Give me, I, I don't want great wealth, but I want to have my daily bread. That's where this comes from. Our daily bread. Maybe it, there's another source you could look it up, but this is definitely one of the, uh, one of the, 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 the verses that, where that comes from. Okay, so Kivulevich is now going to ask, why was that Pusik quoted second? Why didn't Rababo quote that Pusik? Again, we're trying to prove, what are we trying to prove? That, that Rosh Hashanah is a day of chuk. It's not just a day where you get judged, where you're going to live or die. It's a day when, when things are determined, are you go, what's going to be your finances? How much money you're going to make in terms of paying for your, your day-to-day needs? And that's based on interpreting the word chuk as for your daily needs. So, uh, Marzutra's Pusik seems to be very straightforward. And it's not talking about Egyptian priests. It says, Hatrifeni lechem chuki. Right? So, I've, that's what we want from God. Let me survive. It's not just a piece of bread that you're asking from God. Shulman Melchel just saying, give me a piece of bread every day. It means I don't have to be incredibly wealthy. I don't want to be poor. Give me what I need to eat and to survive my life. That would have been, I think, uh, okay. So, the way we think about these things are what is the provenance of each Pusik? So the this thing on the side helps us. Abo's Pusik comes from Bereshis, as you can see. It comes from the Torah. Marzutra's Pusik comes from, as I said, Ksuvim. I called it Novi before Ksuvim, the, the Kof of Tanakh. It could be that when you're trying to prove a point, even though you're you're starting with a pasuk and tehillim, <laughs> you 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 prove a point with the bigger mallet, you with, with, from a pasuk from the Torah, and that could be why Abo quotes the pasuk from the Torah, um, and Zutra quotes the pasuk from uh, from Mishlei, from 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 Proverbs, That could be one of the reasons. And again. I'm not sure. Um, uh, it's possible that, um, yeah. yeah, you could say another possibility. That's 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 an easy one to say. Um, I was thinking maybe um, that um, a- another reason why is because the one from the Kohanim and Paro, um, like I said, maybe is even a strong, might be a stronger proof uh, in the sense that. Not only is it from the Torah, but it also shows you the idea that it's unchangeable. Um, and no matter what's going on, that that's going to stay. And uh, that amount is what we were talking about. It could be another, it's because there was a time of famine, but the rules did not change. Here, it's an appeal by the uh, supplicant of saying, give me lechem chuki, but we don't see how firm and unchanging it is. Could be that's one of the reasons why Abo went with that pasuk as well. Anyway, so now we've proven 
that Rosh Hashanah is a time of where your finances and things are, 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 are dealt with. Okay, so we should be getting back to our topic, which is Eger of Tavshilin, but we don't. <laughs> Let's see here. Tanya. Uh, Tanya, of course, is uh, means an abraisa. Umru alav, and remember, when you have a brisa or a mishnah, it's going to be mostly in what we call Hebrew or rabbinic Hebrew. Umru alav, they say about him. Who do they say about? Al shamai hazake. Let's talk about this for a minute. Um, the old shamai. Now, when we say the old shamai, the zaken shamai. Um, we're not just going to say he was an old man. That's not what it means. Um, we know that there's Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. A couple lines from that we're going to call Hillel Hazakeng. We say that because the schools were not the persons. There was a school of Shammai and there was a school of Hillel. And the schools reflected their founder. But the the, the schools I'm not going to say devolved, but the schools it turned that there was a a range throughout the Talmud and the Mishnah and the Talmud of debates between these schools. And much has been written to explain the difference in the attitude between Shammai and Hillel of the schools. Beit Shammai, Beit Hillel. Beit Shammai, Beit Hillel. There's even a lot of discussion why Beit Shammai is mentioned first, as he's mentioned here. Okay. But there's the men themselves. And that's what we're trying to say. Okay. Not, if we would just say Shammai, people might assume it's the school of Shammai. Is that what they did? We're actually talking about the founder of the school. Shammai and Kila were partners, the Mishnah and Ovo says. They led the Sanhedrin for a while together. Now, historians have told us that that was broken apart by Gabinus, a Roman governor who came up with the idea of, devol- of dissolving uh, regular meetings of the Sanhedrin. I, I saw somewhere today that the Supreme Court is meeting somehow. I read something about that. But, but Gabinus understood that the Supreme Court of Israel having regular sessions is, 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 is one of our strengths because we're able there to have the best minds together and formulate what the country needs. So they 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 uh, disallowed that from happening. So therefore, Shammai and Hillel, who had been uh, sitting together as co-leaders uh, of the Jewish people, they couldn't do that anymore. Uh, I don't know if they, uh, maybe a special session could be called, but Norm, the Sanhedrin started to devolve and what happened instead was Shammai had his school and Hillel had his school and you couldn't really come together as they had come together before. And that's why you have debates and issues cropping up. And Gabinus was correct. What that led to was a, a lack of uniformity in terms of actions because we had people assuming one way and people assuming another way was the way law should be uh, uh, practiced. And Shammai, uh, the Talmud tells us that the school of Shammai were, were, were quicker, were more brilliant. Uh, Hillel, uh, there was a different attitude, a more uh, a sense of creating a synthesis and, and dealing better, perhaps, with the facts on the ground. Either way, 
it's important to realize that the men themselves didn't argue that often. Shammai and Kilel themselves, when they were together, there were a couple of debates, but not that many. This was one of them. <laughs> so, Amru alav al Shammai okay. They say about Shammai, Kol yamav haya ocheo Shabbat. That he would, all, all of his life, you could say the man ate for Shabbos. Now, how did he eat for Shabbos? How was it that during the week he was eating and this was a Shabbos eating? Motza behema na'ah. Now again, I, maybe Shammai had a big family. And uh, let's say people ate a lot of meat. Not, like, not as much as they do today. So he would find an animal. It didn't have to be a giant steer. It could be whatever it was, and it looked nice. Omer, he would say, even though I'm, I need to eat meat today, we're going to have meat tonight, he would say, Zul Shabbat. He would put it away for Shabbat. He said, this we're going to slaughter on Friday, and we're going to eat it on Shabbos. If he would find another one, that was pr- nicer, prettier, fatter in this case, more meaty, uh, uh, would make a better meal, what would he do? He already bought the first one. What's he, what's he, he doesn't have a farm. What's he going to do? He has a barn. What's he going to do with the first animal? So if he found the nicer one, what he would do is, is say, the second one, you're going to be for Shabbos still. I'll tell you what, we're going to have a meal. We're going to eat during the week. We're going to have meat during the week. And he would eat the one that he had bought first <laughs> during the week. What did that mean? So it turns out that, let's go up here. It turns out, as Rashi says, Nimza. Why did he have that meal? Why did he have that meat meal during the week? Because this way, hmm. <laughs> now I don't know if he would have had meat otherwise, but it turns out in, in a way that the meat meal that he had on Tuesday was an or was really a Shabbos meal because because he could because he put the other animal for Shabbos. So therefore, the first meal can be considered also for the sake of Shabbos. Because the only reason he's eating it is because he wants to save the better one for Shabbos. So it turns out everything that he's eating is for the sake of Shabbos. Again, you could, you could disagree with this way of describing it. Uh, but that's what we're saying. That his attitude was, I always put the best for Shabbos. So let's read it again. Whatever he ate, was always with Shabbos in mind, and there were there was stuff that he would eat during the week that he had bought for Shabbos originally, but he actually ate it during the week instead in order to eat the better stuff on Shabbos. Okay, that was Shammai. Aval Hillel Hazakeh Mida Acheret Hoytelo. There was a Mida. Mida, uh, we always talk about, uh, if you 
uh, if you're in Shaduchim or not, you always say, what type of midos does the person have, right? A mida means a measurement. That's what it literally means. It could also mean mod, not like the mod squad, but the mod also is the uh, is considered clothing because it measures to your body. Mida is a type of character trait that you sort of inhabit. That's what a mida is. That's your mida. That's that's sort of what you that's your comfort zone, what you got used to. Maybe it's 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 part of your DNA. It's part of the your natural proclivity. That's the way you act. That's the gloves you wear in your hands. That's the clothes you wear. That that's sort of what you project, and it's probably a, a reflection of who you are. So, what was Hillel's mida? Mida acheret. He had a different haitalo. He had a different uh, a different one. What was his mida? Shakol maasav l'shem shamayim. Hmm. Every all his actions, Masav, were for the sake of heaven. Let's stop for a minute. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Again, so Shammai is thinking about Shabbat. He's always thinking about I want the best for Shabbos. I'm always trying to get the best for Shabbos. Forget about the fact that he had all these meals during the week. Okay, his his mindset was Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. I want the best for Shabbos, and and he switches too. Once he buys his stuff, he'll 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 make a, a whole new expense, and 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 buy a better stuff for Shabbos, and he'll deal with that expensive thing that he bought before in some other way. But Shabbos is always the king. It's we're saying Hillel, everything he did was a shame Shamayim, as opposed to Shammai. Hmm. I'm just pointing out Shammai is, doesn't exactly sound like like again. Forget about that. Don't zero in on what I said before that he would make a big meal on Tuesday. What was primal in Shammai's mind was I want the best for Shabbos, even though it turned out he ended up spending double many weeks because he thought this was going to be Shabbos. When he found something better, he would buy it for Shabbos and somehow deal with what he had bought. So he was also a, a great tzaddik in that way that he wanted the best for Shabbos. But we're saying Hillel, every, he, he didn't necessarily zero in for Shabbos. All his actions were with Shem Shemayim. Let's go on. Shenemar. And this is one of the psukim everybody quotes. People say, how you doing? Baruch Hashem Yom Yom, right? <laughs> Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. This is where this Pasuk is from. It's a Pasuk in Tehillim, quoted here. Let's see the complete Pasuk here on the side. Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. God should like give us this weight. <laughs> he should weigh us down, give us this thing to carry. What's he going to weigh us down with? Our salvation. <laughs> Yamos is like, put it on us. I can carry it. God, give us our salvation. That's what it is. In other words, I believe God can give our salvation any day. Hmm. Now, that's called kol maisa v'shem shamayim. It's a strange term, right? All his actions were for the sake of heaven. It sounds like shamayim was also for the sake of heaven. Um, okay. Uh, let's read on. That was one brighter. Now we're going to quote another bright about the same idea. Tanya, let's see, let's see this other brighter. Tanya, 
Nami Hachi. There's another Brighton. Now, again, key Gemara word, if you've printed this page out, underline it. Tanya Nami Hachi. There's another Brighton just like this. Now, here's the Brighton number one, where the cursor is. Here's Brighton number two. This is similar to Brighton number one. Let's see. Beit Shammai Omrim. Notice the difference? Not Hillel Azakein and Shammai Azakein, but Beit Shammai. This was the schools of Shammai, not the old men, not the founders of the schools. Beit Shammai Omrim. Now, here comes uh, <laughs> Aramaic, not Hebrew, even though it's a Brighton. Mechad Shavech. Shivtech means your Shabbat, the one that's coming. Chad Shavech means the first day of the week. The weeks were called, just like we do Sphira Saomer now, we say Sheva Shabbatot, seven weeks. So a week is called a Shabbos <laughs> because it ends with Shabbos. Because the Shabbos is the seventh day, that became another way to say a week. So in Aramaic, Shabbat is a week. Shivtech is your Shabbat. So from the first day of the week, what we call Echad B'Shabbos, but Shammai said, already zero in on Shabbos. From the first day, zero in on Shabbos, meaning buy the stuff for Shabbos, get stuff ready for Shabbos, think about Shabbos. Shabbos is primal in your mind. Ubeit Hillel Omrim, the school of Hillel, not Hillel himself, Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. Okay. It, 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 what does it tell you? What it tells me is that the old men created a mentality that was reflected in the yeshiva. What is really the idea? And again, really the heart, the question really here is, which should trouble all of us, is what's this mice of L'shem Shamayim? Rashi tries to answer. Rashi gives us an answer. I don't understand it 100%. But let's take a look at the Rashi. I'm going to tell you my own take on this in a second. But I, I, this is not about my own take. This is about what the Talmud is saying. I'll give you my own take, which I think fits in. Let's take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, Rashi deals with this issue about L'shem Shamayim. Boteach. Right? That's not that Lubavitcher guy who writes books all the time. Boteach means what? Trust. Bitachon. What's the trust that Hilo had? lo, That something would happen to him. Something would occur. What would occur? No, El Shabbat. Hillel had bitachon. In other words, Shammai looked. Oh, this is for Shabbos. Hillel, look, I'm not going to make myself nuts. When Shabbos happens, I know I'm going to get a good stuff for Shabbos. I have bitochon. I have bitochon. Friday, I'm going to go to the market and I'll get the best thing. I don't have to have it. Like, Shammai is sort of like an OCD guy, in a way, according to this. Shammai, I'm buying it. Okay, oh, oh, oh okay, I would have, this is going to be for Shabbos now, right? Whereas, well, yeah, look, God will give me the thing. Arab Shabbos, Thursday, it'll happen. I'll go to the store. Wow, wasn't that a great salmon? Oh, well, that was, uh, yeah. We don't have to start thinking primarily on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, get it for Shabbos, get it for Shabbos. Yeah, happy talk on God will take care of you. 
That's the way Rashi explains it. Um, and and that's why it's Baruch Hashem Yom Yom, because it's the end of the Pesach. Let's look at Rashi here, as I showed you. Yam Every day, God will give you what you need every day. You need you need something special for Shabbos, you'll get it. Whereas Shammai is saying, you don't know if you're going to get it. You're not sure if you're going to get it. You're not sure if you're going to get what you need. And therefore, be proactive. So, again, it, to me, it's troubling. <laughs> you almost have like, you know, um, you know, Hillel is sort of like, yeah, uh, Hillel doesn't seem to care. And yet we're calling him, we give him this idea, call Masav L'Shem Shamayim. You know, I, doesn't it seem, again, doesn't it seem that, that, that Shammai is, 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 is more primal? In fact, I, I know we have people here that know Chumash here are listening. Um, if you look at Rashi and Chumash, Rashi and Chumash on the Pusik of Zohar Siyom HaShabbos Lakacho, um, if you have a Chumash out, you can look at it. looking around here. I want to, you, you see I have a lot of stuff here in the back. Got a, uh, yeah, and we know we have a lot of, but if you take a look at a Chumash on that Pusik, you will see that Rashi quotes Shammai. Rashi quotes Shammai in that Pusik. Thought I had a Chumash in those here, but you'll take a look yourselves, you'll see. Because that sounds, uh, on which Pusik does Rashi quote it? On Zohar Siyom HaShabbos Lakacho, right? Rashi quotes Shammai. Um, yeah, I'll prove it to you right now. So, here. Chabad.org. They have Chumash with Rashi. Very good website to go to. You go to Learning and Values. Ah, come on. Yeah, and then you go to... Um, you go to text and writings, classic texts, and the complete Tanakh with Rashi's commentary, and you click on that, and you click here on Shemot, and the chapter that you want is chapter 20. And we're going to show Rashi's commentary. And let's take a look at Zohar Siyom HaShabbos Lakacho. There it is. All right. Um, here it is. Um, Did I make a mistake? I don't think so. Here it is. Here it is. Pay attention to always remember the Sabbath day, so that if you chance upon a beautiful thing, you shall prepare it for the Sabbath. See that? There it is. Shim nizdamo masmino Shabbat. Okay? Here's Rashi. <laughs> That's what Zachor means. So the word Zachor. Listen, gay, right? This is its interpretation. Pay attention to always remember the Shabbos day. So if you chance upon a beautiful thing, you'll prepare it for Shabbos. That's Shammai. <laughs> right? That's what Rashi is telling you is Pashim Shad in the Pasuk. That's how you remember Shabbos throughout the week. 
that think about Shabbos, do the Shammite way of doing things. And yet, <laughs> and yet we have <laughs> the Talmud clearly, you know, wants us to see Hillel in a better light. It's the wrong one. Uh, the Talmud wants us to see Hillel in a better light. So, you know, what is that? <laughs> Which I think is, is a question. It, it seems to be impractical. It sounds like, you know, uh, it, it sounds like uh, it, 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 Hilo is almost like that character in that Leo Leone book. Um, uh, Frederick, was it? I forgot who it was. But one of them, Frederick, I think, <laughs> who uh, didn't get the stuff ready. And, and Shammai is getting stuff ready. It's It's strange. It's strange. I, so I'm going to tell you what I, I have an interpretation here, and then you can anybody wants to can 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 try on their own to try to figure out what this means. Um, I think it, it goes to the nature really of 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 of, uh, of the tzaddik and the chosid. And the tziv actually says uh, something like this in his commentary on the mechilta. Um, Shammai was a tzaddik. There's no question about it. What the way Shammai acted? Look at the amount extra money he spent, because um, uh, he he always had because he was always zeroing on Shabbos, and a tzaddik realizes the help that he needs. A tzaddik is always striving to be more, and Shabbos is in a way the greatest battery help you can get. You're you're a stronger and better person on Shabbos than you are. Any other day. Um, we're going to talk later about the extra neshama that you have. It's in this Gemara as well. So Shammai figured, look, I'm my best on Shabbos. I know I have talents, but I need help. And and Shabbos is the best way to get that help. You, you're, Shabbos represents you at your best. And during the week, I was just getting ready for Shabbos. I was basically in a Shabbos mode the whole week because that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna shine. That was Shammai. So Shammai realized, yes, there he has some faults, but Shabbos Shabbos elevates that. Shabbos allows us to scrub those faults away in a way, and therefore Shammai felt that's why his week was only a prelude to Shabbos. Whereas Hillel um, was on a different level. Hillel, it's almost every day with Shabbos day. In other words, the same way the Pasuk says, Baruch Adonai Yom Yom. <laughs> yeah, I know God in his infinite wisdom has decided that Shabbos is a day of holiness. We have to do things different. But every day, notice Hillel was confident in the level he had reached, the level of Hasid, the level of Beyond, not everybody has that, and that's why Rashi and Chumash is writing for most of us who are we're hoping to be like Shammai. But Hillel had reached a level where almost everything he did was l'shem Shamayim. Yeah, it's like he was he was he was a, a beyond a tzaddik with a Balatanya tzaddik. In other words, he wasn't a benani like the Balatanya calls him. He was actually. Every action that he did was L'shem Shemaim. In other words, throughout his day, it's almost like a living embodiment of holiness. It's like Shabbos every day. So therefore, that's just the way he was. 
he didn't have that type of nervousness and attitude. Um, he, he, he was uh, uh, comfortable in your own skin is such a terrible way to say it. But the point was he, he was on a different level as a, of a human being. Uh, and therefore, uh, Shabbos didn't play the same role for him that it played for, for Shammai. Now, what's strange about this is that the school of Hillel did the same thing. <laughs> the school of Hillel, in a way, preached to become this type of person. The school of Shammai said, be proactive, realize your weaknesses, realize your faults, realize that you need help. Shabbos is a, is, is, is a chance for us to, to, to have the type of family interaction, the type of learning, the type of study, where God almost says, you know what, I'm not even counting what you did during the week. Let me see the way you are on Shabbos. And, and the school of Hillel is really saying, you know, we can be better than that. We can turn every day into something magnificent and glorious. That's the way Hitler was. And I think his school was trying to promote that as well. Um, anyway, I don't know if that helps, but I think that to me, I don't, I, I'm not saying that's in the words of the Talmud here, but I think it at least explains a little bit of what this business is called Maisa Vashem Shamayim. I'm not trying to eliminate Rashi. Rashi does say it's Bitochon. I agree. There's definitely uh, an element of bitachon, but it's more than just bitachon. It's more than bitachon. I think that it's a, 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 a it's living in a way where he was like a carbon. Every like like the Misos Yisharim says that every time Hillel ate, it was like a carbon lahashem. Uh, he every day was just close. Every day was was a day of tzidkus. I'll just end with this. There's a famous uh, uh, question that was asked to uh, one of the, uh, uh, he was a, a posek. He lived to be about 100 years old. He was the uh, Radvaz, David ibn Zimra. There was a prisoner who uh, was told by his captors that, a Jewish prisoner, that he was going to be able to be let loose for one day. Um, one day. They'd give him one day out of the year. So he sent the question to Rav David, uh, which day should it be? He thought maybe Yom Kippur. Um, he was wondering. Uh, Rav David said to him, the first possible day you can get out. True, you're gonna, they're going to take you back in? If they're going to let you have one day to be out and be in the community, it should be the very next day. The very next day you can get out, get out. Now, it wasn't because he was going to die. <laughs> he might die by the time Yom Kippur comes. That, that also was part of it. I think part of it was this idea that what you can get out of one day might just be a regular Wednesday. But what you're going to be able to get out of that could be as holy and as magnificent. And when you start feeling, hey, you know what, you know, I'm going to push it off, you never know. That day might be the most important day, and, and, and therefore the Shammai attitude clouds the potential possibilities of what you're going to be able to do today. So that's maybe why, again, it isn't just try to be exotic when you're not exotic. It's also recognizing the great potential of every single day. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 